blast from our past network. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and this week we are talking about alien tribes and celebrating Alien Day. And Alien Tribes is a 1992 illustrated novella, and we definitely needed some help infiltrating the hive this week. So joining us on this mission are the guys from Podcasting After Dark. We have Corey and Zach. Guys, thank you for joining and welcome back to the show. Oh, we're, we're in the pipe five by five, baby. <laughs> well, someone said illegal alien and I signed up. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, nice. You like how what I did there? I made it kind of politically correct too, because yeah. I'm the illegal alien. Are you? If it was Canada, oh, I get it. I get it. Touche. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> well done. I'm happy to be back with you guys. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Um, Dean, you're here as well. I'm here. Yep. As always. As always. Yeah. Just giving you your opportunity to slide your little joke in. No, our guests are too big right now. Uh, I can't. Wow. I can't be a fool. I can't be a oh, fool. Oh, I was wow. waiting yeah. for the deanism. I wow. wanted the deanism. I wish Tim would have got so mad at me. I wish we could have you guys on every week. Then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, happy Alien Day to everyone out there! Woo-hoo. Such a great holiday. Yeah, uh, Corey. I think for you, this is called Christmas in April, right? Pretty much, yeah. Of all the uh, internet, you know, uh, fake holidays out there, this one is definitely my favorite. And then, you know, you'd say, oh, what about Star Wars? It's like, no, every day is Star Wars Day for me. Yeah, that, that's the vibe I get from uh, from knowing you as long as I have and the conversations we've had. And that was my vibe. So very cool. Corey, this was actually your idea to do Alien Tribes. So... After reading it, I completely understand why you wanted to do this. But for the listeners, why don't you just give us a little bit of an idea? Why did you want to cover this? Uh, it came out in 1992, like you said earlier. Uh, it's a novella uh, with some beautiful, beautiful art by Dave Dorman in it. Um, I have a first printing of this book. I bought it when it came out. I pre-ordered it because I was reading comics at the time. And it's, you know, back in the day in the 90s, I was reading primarily Dark Horse, uh, you know, Aliens, Predator and Terminator comics. So this was perfect. But this is probably my all time favorite Colonial Marines story that's not you know, the the LV-426, the Hadley Hopes, you know, a story that we see in Aliens. This is like my favorite, you know, of like the written material and the side material and all that kind of stuff. And I just think it's such a fun, condensed little action story that's easy to digest and a, 
a lot of fun and really cool and just kind of uh, really it, it sort of adds to the alien lore and it doesn't do anything egregious to like step on any toes that comes before or after it you could easily slot this in you know anywhere in the timeline and it would make perfect sense and I think it's just a fun fun book especially since colonial marines are kind of front and center and that's what I probably dig the most about it yeah for sure so a bit of quick background here. It was written by Stephen Bissett. Now, Dean, does that ring any bells for you? Yeah. Um, uh, Swamp Thing. Yes, exactly. Uh, he did... Um, he, actually, he won an Eisner for best single issue for his work on Swamp Thing Annual Volume 2, which, Dean, we covered way back in Episode 40 of our podcast. Hell yeah, um, man. So I thought that was cool. And art yeah. by Dave Dorman... And he won an Eisner Award for this book. And he was also commissioned by Hasbro to do 100 pieces of realistic art for the G.I. Joe toy line. And if you haven't checked that out, please do, because it is absolutely incredible stuff. Oh, cool. Very, very cool. And he also has a lot. He's done a lot of Star Wars pieces as well. Um, I have a... I like this beer stein that has his Boba Fett uh, painting that he did kind of wrapped around it. But uh, look up his Boba cool. Fett stuff. He, he does some really, really good Star Wars work. Nice. Yeah, great artist. Check out anything from him. Every time you guys say Dave Dorman, I think of the um, Dave the Dorf Dorfman from Fletch. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's hear it for Dave the Dorf Dorfman. Okay. Same guy. Yeah, same dude. Just, yeah, that's him. Same dude. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> Covers the multiverse. Fletch. Yeah. Star Great Wars. G.I. Joe. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Zach, you are going to read a short synopsis of the story for us. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I am. I, I've been very excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do it in... The Queen is... No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. The Queen is dead. An orbiting medical facility has become infested with an alien scourge. The unenviable task of destroying them has fallen to a military cleanup crew, and included in their armory is a berserk warrior reined in by a medical science with enough firepower to kill them all. Nice. Dum dum. Hell yeah. Dum, That's it. Dum. Alien Tribes, 1991 font. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Every time I I see Tribes, sorry, I just think of that song, Two Tribes Go to War, and it just gets stuck in my head. Who's that by? Oh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Two Tribes Go to War. I don't know if I know that. Oh. I don't know it. Got some homework to to do after this. Really? Corey? I, I might if if I, I if I recognized it your little Frankie two second blurb <laughs> I didn't couldn't tell <laughs> two tribes go to war <laughs> yeah sorry we'll drop it in right here Uh, cool. 
a great song, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we loved it. We all loved it. We, we just listened it. to it yeah. and we loved it. We were all dancing here. Dean, yeah. m- more so than anyone else. But yeah, of course. I'm still uh, dancing. <laughs> I love to dance. <laughs> so, Zach, thank you for that synopsis and the song. Um, I wanted to ask you what you thought just overall of the story. Well, I am obviously a huge Aliens fan, not as big as Corey, but it I would definitely put Aliens Day over Star Wars Day in a heartbeat. Uh, just the folklore and the characters and just fuels everything I love about science fiction and action hybrid. Um, I was really intrigued by the story. I to be honest with you, the 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 format took me off a little bit because I was kind of expecting it to be a graphic novel and it wasn't. I don't have a problem with that at all. I thought it, it's it's a really well written, really easy to get into. It just for a, a, just a half second, I was like, oh, I was expecting to see more pictures. I like <laughs> pictures in my stories. I'm a dad. Yeah. I read children's books. What can I say? Um, but man, I loved it. I loved it. it just the, the setup. The plot, the premise, um, you know, it's it's not breaking new territory, but what it is doing is establishing or continuate continuing the established uh, kind of mythos of of aliens and really cool characters, um, you know, characters that I feel like are are almost extensions of characters from the original series like Um, almost like archetypes type of thing. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. You know, they're not like I said, they're not treading new ground. But uh, is it better than Aliens 3? I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I liked it more than a couple of the Alien sequels, not going to lie. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I could compare it. I, I think it's like apples and oranges for me. But I, I, like anybody who listens to our podcast, probably knows that I don't read. I, I just, <laughs> I read graphic novels. I love doing that, but I don't read stories. So, Corey, when you kind of threw Same. this out there, I was thinking, oh no, I'm gonna have to read. Did, did you audibly like <laughs> groan when I said yeah. this to you? Like, I was ah. like, this <laughs> sounds like a great idea because I love aliens, but yeah, I was terrified of having to read a story. And I mean, I just I got sucked right into it, right into it. Um, on the surface, like it really does just seem like your classic alien tale of a military group kind of moving through a ship in this in this instance and they're looking for the hive of aliens that's basically all it is but there's a lot of interesting ideas um that they dig into in that simplistic story and uh that's kind of what grabbed me about the story um i liked at the very beginning of the story they sort of like straight up just tell you about the destruction of the ship that this story is taking place on. Like the very first page is this explosion and it details the death of the queen. And um, as a reader at that moment, I understood that we're now going to learn how that happened, but this ship that we're going to be on and following these characters on blows up. Uh, So for me, that was just a really great intro to the story. I think if you're maybe trying to read, you know, really fast at the beginning, it might not click exactly what you're reading, but 
I, as, as someone who doesn't really read, I'm, I was taking my time going very slowly and it did click for me that, oh, what we're reading is the destruction of the ship that this story is going to be about. So that really started things off well for me. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, cool. I would say, uh, I didn't really pick up on that my first time around because, well, when I was reading, when I, when I got into this thing, dug into this thing, I started reading right away and I was kind of going quickly and I realized that the first couple pages didn't really sink in. And then I kind of got the groove of the writer. Like, I think it takes me some time to kind of get how they write and how to get in the flow. And so I'm trying to read at the pace I usually read at, but I'm not in the flow yet. And so it doesn't quite stick. And so at like four pages in, I started to get in the flow and I was like, I got to go back and read that beginning because I don't think I sunk in. I don't think I got what was going on. (laughs) So I went back, read it, and then it felt a lot better and a lot more clear. And and at like only, you know, 75 pages, like if you don't get it right away, like you're already through like a third of the story, essentially, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I do, you know, the story is, you know, pretty straightforward and everything, but I do like the character. I do like that it allows them to elaborate on the characters and we get already out of the gate. You get the idea that the the leader Borg, uh, you know, and everything he's like, he's like almost dead. He's like a half cyborg type of dude, but he's in love with tunnel rat, but he can't be with her because you know, he's barely human and everything. And then you get her whole backstory with her dad abusing her. And that's how she's able to like, go into her mental shell and everything for the for the, the for the warriors the xenomorphs to take her away and stuff it's really really cool i like the character stuff but you know to the setup you know what you were saying to him it's such a cool premise so you go they go to an infested ship or an infested like space lab um they go inside and they set up these baby boomer bombs that like have like an 8 hour timer or They're also connected to everybody's heart. So if everyone dies, the whole place explodes. So no matter what happens, the queen and the infestation is not getting off the ship. So once they set those up, they send Tunnel Rat in to basically get captured and then brought to the hive. And then they can follow her beacon and go and basically extract her. And that's really all it is. But... So much, so much happens, you know, on top of it. You have the berserker that goes crazy. And then, of course, the xenomorphs, you know, trying to stop it and everything. It's it's wild. It's but it is such a it's a such a simple, straightforward A to B story. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, what I really like right off the bat, I can tell is that this group's been there before. You know, they've done this before. They have a plan. Everybody has their role. It's not like an alien. Like, I, I love aliens, obviously, but it's not like an aliens where it's sort of their their first run with this creature. You know, they don't really know what to do. They're kind of backs against the wall, just firing from the hip. I love that, like, they have a plan. And it might, it's kind of a wild plan, yeah. <laughs> but they have one and they and they execute this. They, they've they've, uh, they've dealt done it with before. something like this before. They've yeah. done it, like, yeah. I, I just... Love that right off the bat. Yeah. And in that, yeah, I feel, no, yeah, I was going to, yeah, Zach, what were you going to say? I was going to say in in many ways, it plays like a, like a, like a written version of a video game, um, you know, from one challenge to another. And yeah, I like the, this, this, the story feels like it's been set maybe, you know, we're 60 years into the future from the first alien movie and everything's been kind of identified um i love the the that idea of like you know one of the main characters sacrificing herself or or just doing this whole thing and 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 allowing herself to be you know 
infested essentially uh it's it's dark shit and yeah and just to piggyback on what tim said because he said it in such a succinct way i yeah at first i was like i don't know if i can read this and i started getting into it and i'm like well, I can read this. When's the last time I read a book? Like, when's the last time I read a book? This is crazy. Yeah, it's a bit of a slow burn. Um, and, and I was it... trying to go like this on the page, like expanding the page. And I'm like, why can't I expand your, the page? On your paper page. Like, <laughs> Yes. What is this? Don't understand. Yeah. It takes them like half the book to get to the aliens. So that's the type of stuff that as a reader, I would expect to be struggling with like kind of what you might call the more boring content in the book but it wasn't like that at all this early um just development and explanation about what they're doing there and who they are and what's gone wrong and what they have to do um i actually found that first half of the book more interesting than the second half of the book it wasn't even the action sequences that really got me it was that earlier buildup of the story and i just i was flying through this book I couldn't even believe it. I impressed myself how fast I was going through this. And I was just never bored at any of that stuff. And one of the things that I really love the most about this book, and it's something that I've always kind of wanted to see in an Alien franchise. And I've read some Alien comic books. I haven't read a wealth of them, but I've mentioned it. I really wanted to see the aliens outmatched in a situation and this mm. was it. Like this group of Marines who go into this hive are far superior to the aliens. And while the aliens do put up a bit of a fight, they kind of just get wiped out. And that's something I've always been curious of. Um, like, like what kind of organization out there, you know, could somehow get strong enough to be able to contain the aliens um, like how, how long into the future of actually grabbing an alien and containing it and studying it and learning about it and learning how to defeat it, like how far into the future does that take you to when the humans are actually superior? Yeah. And this mm. was kind of the story that did it for me. So once I realized that was sort of happening, I just, I fell in love with this story. Yeah, yeah. totally. One of the, one of the, um, cool parts about that, uh, about the, that they could take over like, or that, uh, that, that the Marines are just so overpowering, uh, the aliens is that the aliens do end up, you know, getting a couple shots in themselves, but it's a, I'll take you down with me type mentality. You know, there's, there's yeah. no, no time where they have the upper hand. It's always just like, we're going down. Maybe we can take you with us. Because unlike the movie aliens, the queen gets iced in this, like right away. The, the berserker, yeah. his name is shit kicker. Like they, he takes out the queen, like almost immediately, but then he goes on like a berserker rage. And like Dean was saying, then the xenomorphs are like, okay, all they're doing now is basically sacrificing, sacrificing themselves uh to the ground so that way they can melt the the and drop him basically out through the space station's hull and i was like yeah. that's pretty cool and i i'm with you tim uh, as someone who adores the colonial marines aspect of aliens the movie aliens like i like that more than the xenomorphs themselves i like the colonial marines so this whole thing learning their backstories you know like like and yeah seeing this it's like this awesome gi joe styled colonial marine team where everyone is like has a specialized you know 
task. I think it's really, really cool. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's also their last mission. And, uh, you know, half of the book, us getting to learn the characters and everything, it makes me want to, like, go back and see previous missions and know more about them because I liked this crew. I thought this crew was cool. Yeah, they were very cool. Um, Like a real real interesting group of characters like they were it kind of reminded me a little bit of the group that we got in alien resurrection like it was just this like a variety pack a very interesting variety pack of characters but they were far darker in this story uh far more gritty with like real dark like things that had happened to them both physically and emotionally um very very interesting stuff and the fact that they actually call back, you know, um, to, you know, the civilian who dispatched a, a queen with a power loader, you know, on the first encounter with the Xenomorphs. Obviously, they're talking about Ripley and everything. And that was the inception to to get, you know, create the Berserker design and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I think that's just I think that's just cool. But, Zach, I know you love your G.I. Joe. Did you get uh, like Colonial Marine G.I. Joe vibes from this team? I did. I did. And I, I think... I had the similar feelings that I had to other aliens, alien films where they kill off everybody. And I'm like, no, don't, I I don't want everybody to die. I wanted like a few more characters to live, you know, um, a la in aliens, at least hit, uh, one Marine survived. That's, I think that's like ultimately my only like complaint with the franchise is like allow a few more people to live because they're so well, written and, and, and you know uh created even like um what is it roberts the uh the um uh like the the lieutenant the xenomorph uh uh but suruku richards oh richards richards or, yeah. sorry richards richards yeah yeah richards yeah i love that dude and i'm like no i don't want to get that character to get killed off you know uh, that's where I, I go with this. I'm just like, I want to see an extension of these guys. I don't want to see their, their life just ended. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I was reading this for the upteenth time, you know, before we, we, you know, recorded this, I was like, there, you know, there's an aliens, uh, like a colonial Marines, like role-playing game that kind of just came out, uh, last year or something. And I was like, I, I don't play role-playing games, but I want to play that so bad. And I would love to like actually run this scenario and actually create all of these characters like in yeah. that rule book, you know, or whatever, and then run this exact scenario to see if you can actually like survive it or something. I think that would be a lot of fun. So if anybody out there can do that, take that idea and run with it, please, because Aliens Tribes, this team deserves another shot at, at, at another hive. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like if, if, if each step was like what the next, person's supposed to do you know you know i gotta infiltrate the hive you know then you let the berserker go you know all these different steps that you have to take and uh you know during the game you know the the levels of uh danger increasing all stuff like that. i think it could work yeah i, I want to so play too. it like this story was 72 pages and there was probably 15 to 20 pages of art so you have a, you do have a very short story here i easily could have read like a 350 page story about this yeah, uh, where we did d- dig into maybe a previous mission and the characters. And I think that says a lot because I'm not interested in, in reading. So <laughs> like I would have, I would have kept going. I would have kept going a long way. So I think that is a testament to how, like how well this was written 
and also the really like interesting story that they told like this story this is what i love about any kind of content just something that i absorb that is going to stick with me and is going to keep me thinking about it and not me going back to think about it because i have to go back and think about it and try to analyze it this was with me this story and aspects of this story were just with me for days in the back of my head and i was just thinking about them and really like even though there were some really terrifying moments I just loved them and they stuck with me. And most of what I'm talking about is uh, rat in the ventilation ducts. Um, that is just some of the most terrifying aliens content that I've come across. Uh, I just kind of let myself get absorbed in the moment. Like, with her like rat did? <laughs> crawling, yeah, like her crawling through these ducts. Most of the time with her eyes closed because it didn't matter if they were open because it's just black anyways. And if her eyes are closed, it helps her hear better. And just like yeah, crazy. Her, her purpose, like one, one of the most terrifying moments of any of the movies was when Bishop had to crawl through that little vent. I just thought yeah. any sort of vent play really, really frightened me. So I really let this, I really opened myself up to this part of the story and thought how utterly terrifying it would be to be this person crawling through the vents, searching for the hive. And then ultimately she lets herself get captured and taken back so that they know exactly where the hive is. Um, all of that stuff just really, really got to me and not in a bad way, but a good way. And I, I like the fact that like her armor, it's like colonial Marine armor, but it's specially designed to function better when she's like hunched over and crouching. So like when she stands up, it looks like weird and awkward, but when she gets down on her knees, like it actually, that's how it's formed. But to, to your point, like what a terrifying thing, like they still have to rescue her before she's impregnated. The idea is that they're going to follow her beacon or, you know, shit kicker will to the hive. And now they'll know where the hive is exactly. Exactly. And that's what she's there for. But in theory, like she's got no like face mask on. Like if they get there too late, she could get impregnated. And that's scary as hell. Yeah. And then, I mean, some of the most terrifying stuff was her backstory. And the reason that she was there and felt comfortable in those ducks was because her father was a piece of shit. Like yeah. he sexually abused her. They got into it a little bit in the story. Her father is like a religious radical and his God are the aliens like he's obsessed religiously with them and to the point where he impregnated his son her brother and the this the son died you know just so that this guy could you know create an alien so it was the it was the combination of that that she was at such comfort and ease in that vent in that most terrifying moment because she lived through something far worse it was just really it was really powerful now, what did you guys think of the religious aspect of it? Because this is something that was in play in the Aliens Dark Horse comics pretty much from the very beginning, like the first uh, trade, you know, the first story. Uh, they already started to establish the religious, you know, aspect of things and how this faction on Earth starts is basically, you know, revering the, the alien and thinking that it's, you know, it's the final form of our evolution, yada, yada, yada. But it's a through line that goes through a lot of the Dark Horse comics. And I, I always found it to be kind of interesting. I love it. I feel like I, oh, I love it. I think it's perfect because I 
I think if we're talking about perfect organism, which is what they talk about, you know, in Alien, they talk about it in Aliens, um, then why wouldn't there, you know, many years down the road be a cult, you know, like a, a group of people that worship this thing because this thing is perfect. So yeah, like this is the best thing we have, uh, you know, to be to be our God, you know, that is it. This is the perfect organism. This is our God. It, it has come. Um, I, I love it. I, I, I think it's a, a really good addition to the whole universe. What about you, yeah, Zach? It makes sense. I mean, unfortunately, um, cults and uh, fanaticism and that whole ideology that like you you want to create this perfect being is is what uh, unfortunately reality shows that you know civilizations and cultures have been doing it since the dawn of time. So it tracks, and um, it really reminds me. Actually, kind of really reminds me of something that's uh, on television right now on HBO, the Raised by Wolves. And I don't want to. I'm not spoiling anything, but I will say that reading this around the you know soon after finishing that that second season i'm just like all of this stuff kind of blends together and um you know it makes sense that some wacko would misinterpret uh some sort of evolution as this sign from from a fictional god <laughs> so yeah i'm not an i'm not atheist but i'll tell you what like i read this shit and i'm like yeah it tracks it makes sense yeah, well, it's like Ridley Scott did did that, tried to do that in, uh, you know, in Prometheus where, you know, yep. you meet your maker and then Raised by Wolves is Ridley Scott. You know, that's yeah. a Ridley Scott show. So it makes sense that it like lines up with the same kind of uh, idea there. Totally. I, th I thought it fit as well. There was a really interesting line in the book. It was something to the effect that um, man, um, like in the context of this, this book and this universe, man went out into space in search of God, found nothing but the coldness of space and the aliens. So why not let that be the God that you're searching for, right? And yeah. that that's how I, I really liked that, you know. I love that idea too, Tim. I thought that was really well set up, you know, that they, that you're out, you're, you're going to the star, reaching for the stars, looking for that God, and what you found was this monster. So some people just be like, yeah, we did it, we found it. And that right. sounds like you know, the, the premise for Prometheus. But again, this book yeah. came out in 1992, you know? Yeah, um, cool. Another cool aspect that's in this book that's also in the comics as well, and I think this was coming out around the same time as the comics. Like, this didn't precede it or anything. I think it came out during the same run uh, towards the beginning. But there was this idea of the royal jelly uh, from the queen. You know, you can basically get this, like, extract, you know, and it does all kinds of crazy stuff in the comics. Like, they really have fun with it. They get, You know, you can go crazy, but it also gives you, like, superpowers, but it, you know, also makes you go crazy and stuff. So it was really cool to see them sort of, this book to incorporate that in it as well because the the head bad guy who is um i forgot his name but he's uh like a scientist cotlow cotlow there you go yeah, uh he's he's got a, a queen impregnated he's he's been impregnated by a queen um and i think he he's basically using this jelly and all kinds of other things to to keep it basically inside of him keep him alive longer than he should have been so he's also gaining like some of the the, the creature's power as well it's he's almost merging with it and everything it's it's all kinds of like really cool heady stuff you know but at the end of the day he gets dispatched with a you know pulse rifle blast to the face you know by uh, by point 
who uh, I loved Point. Uh, he was uh, he's one of the Colonial Marines. Um, another cool Colonial Marine was Leader, and uh, he, he ill fated because he had, he had the uh, the terrible task of having to turn off or stop somehow stop shit kicker. Um, and I just I loved how like his his end, like you're reading his story and he's like on shit kickers back. He's getting ripped apart by the, the walls and everything that shit kickers going through. And he's like, I'm, he's going to make, it. he's about to get to the hatch to basically kill shit kicker. And then the, the it kind of goes to then shit kickers point of view. And it and the writer, you know, talks about how, Oh, there's just this weird gnat on his back. He turns <laughs> his flamethrower on it and unleashes hell. And then like a couple pages later, like point man just sees or somebody just sees shit kicker go by with a flaming corpse on the back of it. And you're like, that was leader. Like that was just, it was sort of like unceremonious, but that's what kind of made it so gut wrenching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember? Go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. Do you guys remember in uh, 28 weeks later when Jeremy Renner's character, who's such a badass, uh, gets torched flamethrowed. Yeah. And you're just like, Wait, but I like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why did you do that to that guy? And, and yeah. I and I like the fact that Leader was like Leader knew like what he was getting himself into when he got the yeah. order to go yeah. stop Shicker. I mean, he's like, fuck. Like he knows he's dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just, uh, yeah, it's just so. It's, that's not how I want to go. I don't want to have a flamethrower right yeah. to my face and then just get him engulfed in napalm. <laughs> yeah. When when Leader sent to go after him, I. Like he's he's definitely uh, doesn't want this mission. He doesn't want to do this. Knows what he's up against. But in my head, I'm like, but he's got a plan. You know, he's gonna figure something out. He's got no. There's nothing. He just starts grabbing a hold of him and gets dragged by him. He tries to climb up his back and then just gets flamed. It was a shock to me. I thought that like he was going to have a better plan than that, but he just did the best he could and got demolished. I yep. can honestly yeah. say that every time I read it, I have the same response to that line. Like, you know, he felt a gnat on his back and unleashed hell. Yeah. Every time I'm like, oh, leader. <laughs> yeah, totally. So let's talk about shit kicker a little bit here. Um, he is essentially the reason that this group of of marines have any sort of chance against the aliens here he's kind of the human's response to how do we get rid of a hive of aliens and they they create this thing i'll call it a thing it's um there is a human inside but the human um is being pumped full of stimulants and is sort of mindless all it knows is just destroy once it gets turned on and they keep this guy offline until they need him and then when they turn him on by, you know, putting stimulants into him, he just sort of pops up and it's go. It's like, let's and you got to get the gun. hell out of the way is what it get is. Get out of the way. Yeah. So he, he'll smash through walls. It's just he's, you know, he, he's homing in on the hive. Like once rat, um, rat and point are the ones looking for the hive. And once they can locate it, they set shit kicker loose. And then he's just unstoppable. Like as we're reading the story, he is blasting through drones um, never even loses stride until he gets to the queen, destroys her with no effort. So at all. quick, so fast, <laughs> so fast. And then he just continues on to wipe out all of the other drones, but he's basically becomes unstoppable. Like you, you cannot stop him. And like you guys were mentioning leader was kind of sent to try to turn him off. That's futile. Like this guy just killed a queen. Yeah. Like you can't stop him. He can't be stopped. And I actually really liked the drone's response to him. Corey, you alluded to it a little bit before, but they know that they can't stop him. So they start basically like 
intentionally swarming him and yep. sacrificing themselves so that their acid blood would start to destroy the floors beneath him and he'd progressively drop lower and lower in the ship until hopefully he eventually just gets sent right out of the hull and into space. I thought that was really intelligent by the drones um, to, to do that. Like, <laughs> there's no way... It, it just seems like they were in a mad scramble, right? They're like, okay, look, we're, we're dead. We're not going to make it, but is there anything we can do? I guess this is what we can do. It just... I've always loved the intelligence of the drones. Um, not all the movies show that aspect of them, but in my opinion, they are very intelligent. And I like that they could very quickly figure out what to do with this guy and then do it. And I just pictured like, <laughs> I did, we never really get to the point where he like makes it out of the hall, but I envisioned it in my head that if he went out of the hall, I just picture him in space. His little legs are still running. He's still <laughs> shooting guns in every direction. He's still shooting his flamethrower. He will just not be denied. So very, very cool character. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. They're, they're able to like the, I love that the, the drones are able to turn shit kicker against everyone. It's like he goes in there, just annihilates everyone. And they're pumping him with so much juice, so much adrenaline that one of my favorite parts is the first time he shoots a grenade, launcher or a grenade he orgasms yeah because <laughs> they're pumping him with so much feel good like he loves it so much he loves destroying and destruction just shooting it just shooting a grenade made him feel so good um, so he's going in there he's destroying all those drones you know he's killing everybody there's like 20 pages left in this book that's you know 74 pages i'm like what the heck's what what's gonna happen like yeah. it's over he, he did it he, he won um and then they start to turn him against everyone else against the whole crew by using his sort of destructive nature uh to like destroy the ship basically and uh land on the rest of the crew i thought it was just I, i'm with you tim i thought it was just a really neat character and a really smart way for the drones to use him against everybody there was just one really cool line in the book as he's on his destructive rampage for the first time as we're watching him do it. And the writer said that the drones were left in awe before he disposed of them as well. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Like cool. Something so powerful that would leave a drone in awe. That was, that was impressive. I love that play on the idea of going through each section of the ship and then eventually creating a hole in space. And I've always actually thought about that when from the first alien movie when you know what if wouldn't the acid just continue to drip through and eventually totally. create this hole and create a vacuum and you know and they played on that so i love that finally someone kind of addressed that question so when i when i get to that part of the book i'm like oh yeah this is what i was thinking the whole time <laughs> and i i and, and i did not orgasm <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. oh you know, yeah! I thought that. I read a book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Boy, uh, did Berserker loose? Oh, he shot a grenade. Oh. Oh. Uh, and we also have to add uh, the fact that I think the Berserker was also a volunteer. So you have to understand yeah, yeah. the kind of uh, person that would volunteer for that, uh, which I think is just just insane. But another aspect, you, you know, Tim, you, you said it multiple times, you, you kind of get an, also get a really cool insight 
into what the drones are thinking and the queen is thinking. We actually get some interesting, uh, I would dare say, character moments, you know, for the aliens. There's this awesome little one where a drone kind of sees the husk of, of, of its own where, you know, the human that it came out of and it kind of rubs its hands across its face. And, you know, the person watching it, you don't really know what it's thinking, but they're wondering, is it, is it, does it have any affection for its former husk and stuff like that? And I kind of dug that too. I like these little, you know, and he writes it differently and everything. So it's not, doesn't sound like it's a human talking through an alien. He, he tries to, the writer does it, get, tries to give the queen and everything like a personality uh, through the writing. But I thought it was neat to get that, to get that insight. That's something we don't ever get in the, in the movies or anything. And that's only something no. that books can sort of give us. Yeah. Yeah. There was a great bit of writing here about the queen uh, that I pulled out. I wanted to read it. Um, Zach, I wish you could read this for me, but, um, tell me I'll the page and I'll get to I'll it. Do, <laughs> I'll do my best here, <laughs> but it was, it was just kind of describing the queen and the drones and kind of their connection and, and what they're all about here. It says she spoke without speaking, heard without hearing. The soldiers were essentially deaf to each other. The queen was the ear voice, heart, and soul of the hive. They lived on her every whim, moved on her every urge. They were her hands, legs, and jaws, and they already numbered in the hundreds. Her reach, her speed, her bite extended over every niche of this metallic maze they had made their own. So I loved how they're describing the relationship between the two, right? Like without the queen, the drones are nothing. And without the drones, the queen is nothing. They need each other, but together they're this perfection, this unstoppable perfection. And there was just lots of this book had just amazing writing like this. But as I started out, I had a bit of trouble getting into it. I think there were some, maybe some large words used that I had trouble navigating my way through. But once I kind of settled into the way that this writer writes, I really appreciated um, kind of the, the line that he took with this book. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like I think I said it before that that's the way I felt as well, just like getting into it. I think it's that way whenever I switch authors, you know, whenever I start a book, it takes me a couple pages to get into how they talk, how they tell a story. And like the first couple pages just kind of get lost on me and they just kind of go past me and I have to go back and read them. Um, I definitely felt that here. But once I was in the groove, it was so good. Like I was just in, in awe of like how he could paint the picture in my mind and how I was just like perfectly seeing all this action that was happening. Um, and you know, all this, uh, I could like run through the ship, all this destruction in the ship, all these drones fighting. It was, it was really, really cool how he could do those that, uh, like the second half of the book is basically all action, how he could do that whole action scene, um, and really paint that picture. Zach, did you read it on the plane to, uh, Hawaii? <laughs> I read it in like spurts. Uh, so yeah, I was, people are like, what do you mean Hawaii? I, I was on a trip to Hawaii <laughs> and I was reading it at night after, as I went, uh, after I put my son to bed and he's like, are you going to read your aliens book? And I go, yeah. He's like, can you read that to me? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading him. <clears throat> I'm reading, talking about switching art. 
<laughs> talk about switching authors. I was reading, uh, you know, his his chapter book to him about a fourth grader navigating life, and uh, <laughs> and then I switch over to reading about this this story and in the science fiction menagerie of like acidic destruction, and I loved it. You know, I I mean. Um, but I like purposefully read in chunks and which was actually a lot easier for me to contain, you know, if I just read 10 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night or whatever, uh, got me to, cause I, I, I'm so used to reading children's books all the time. So my, my text and my dialogue is like, it's written very similar, you know, and this was not in that wheelhouse. So it was <laughs> retraining my mind uh, in a good way. How, how to be an adult, how to read like an adult. <laughs> how to read like an adult. And to myself, I'm like wanting to read out aloud, you know. <laughs> and then shit kicker. Oh, oops, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you just open up any book, any page, you know. Her patience was like to myself, you know. And then I'd be like, <laughs> the darkness, her strength, her shroud, her ally, even against daddy. The aliens honed that sonar and was a comfort to her. What are you reading in there? Oh, nothing. It's like getting caught with a Playboy or something when I was a teenager. Seriously. I think you could do the audiobook, though, Zach. I think that was pretty good. I would I listen agree. to that. Oh, yeah. thanks. I would love to. Hire me. Someone. <laughs> Someone, please. Dark Horse, come on. Come actually, on, I don't know. For sure. Actually, I don't know who. Uh, Tim, you guys bought it on um, Comixology. Is is Marvel putting this out now since they have the license? Or is this still a Dark Horse one? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It has Marvel on the top. Yep, oh, it there does. You go. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yep. So they've okay. switched wow. everything over. Okay. It has Marvel and 20th Century Studios. Okay. On. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I was able to get the uh, a... a a used copy of this via Amazon and it turns out to be a first edition. So that's pretty dope. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't think, you know, you go on eBay and it goes for a lot more than that. So um, don't be afraid to check out Amazon sometimes for, for used books or your local library. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> i love that plug just landed so flat anyways <laughs> it landed to me it landed to us because we know uh, yeah yeah exactly we, we yeah. know zach's copy has the library insert to it it does actually i i so so the library got rid of it and, they're like uh, I've, I've, got a, I've got a couple of those i've got a couple of those from uh, from amazon it's like uh, it's I, in it's in great condition near mint <laughs> but they don't mention that it's got the library stamps all over it and yeah. the insert card and Fuckers. taken out by Bobby in uh, 1987. It's got a cool. dri- like a sketch, like a, a stick figure drawing in there. Me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but s- sincerely, yeah, go to your local library and uh, don't search porn. Actually, buy books <laughs> or rent. Check out books. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking Great. of books, I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. It's funny. I'm actually very much like Tim. I don't read either. This is probably one of the 20 books I've read in my entire life, you know, and I've read it multiple times. But uh, I did surprise myself. I read this thing in one sitting uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, and I was like, gold star to me, <laughs> you know, but I'm not a big reader. And I think when I first got this book, you know, I guess 92, I was what about 14, 13, something like that. I wasn't the most thrilled that it was a book, because I don't know if I was quite sure that it was, but I loved the Dave Dorman artwork, and once I got past, uh, you know, the fact that it was a book and not a graphic novel, you know, I really did enjoy it, but uh, 
can we talk about the awesome art in it that uh, the, that Tim was saying about? There's about 15 pictures. Yeah. I, before yeah. we do, I just want to really quick because you said, did I read this on the plane? And <laughs> I, I had it. So to toot my own horn, we got upgraded to first class on the flight home. Oh, and I, I was almost done. I was almost brag, brag. I was almost done with the book. But I figured, oh, maybe I'll read it, the rest of it on the flight home. And so I tuck it in the front sleeve. We're, we're in the first row. So everybody getting on, they don't see the sleeve, but everyone coming up to go to the bathroom can see it because it's sticking out. And like the head of the alien, for those that don't know the cover of this book, it's it's very intimidating looking. The yeah. cover art is really uh, grotesque. It really yeah. is. And so people were walking up the aisle and occasionally someone would come up to go to the bathroom and they turn and they would look to see who was sitting in that chair of the book that was facing them. <laughs> that horrible <laughs> playing, book. <laughs> and no joke, I'm literally playing a Game Boy, old school Game Boy Advance, while Bodie's sitting next to me playing with my phone. And and I'm like, I've a couple times people look at me, I'm like, Hey, what's up? It's like that scene in Manhunter when uh, when Will Graham has the autopsy photo or the uh, crime scene photos of the oh, okay. of the Red Dragon's murdered victims on his thing. And the parents are like, can you just cover that up? That's disgusting. <laughs> so anyways, uh, props to bring it back to Manhunter, by the way. <laughs> always course, bring it yeah. back to Manhunter. Great Best, movie. Yeah. Great movie. Best Michael Mann movie ever. <clears throat> One of them. One of them. Yeah, so so Corey, tell us what you think about the art then. Freaking love it. <laughs> yeah. Shocker. Shocker. No, I I think Dave Dorman does a great job. To Dave the Dorf Dorman does a great <laughs> dude. I know. Every time. Every time. Every time. He does a great job of, of setting the scene, but also what I appreciate is the detail that he puts into the armor and everything, because I'm an armor file and I love just seeing the they almost have like they almost like point almost has like an upgraded colonial marines armor he has like two lights on it and whatnot and i like the fact that like you know a uh, uh, leader like his he has like like the shin pads of the colonial marine but then like he has like a jacket on so i just i really like seeing these alternate like takes on what the colonial marine armor can evolve into or look like but then on top of it so much action is expressed through the artwork now I don't think it's necessary to enjoy the book for, for the artwork to be there, but it is a total bonus to to have it. And then, you know, see, you know, Tunnel Rat and everything and see Ears, like a character we haven't really talked about because he doesn't really do much. Um, but he's like half cyborg. And the the picture that Dave the Dwarf Dorman drew or painted is like sort of in my head what I picture Ears looks like, although I do think they kind of describe him a smidge differently. Um, but I loved it. I think it's I, I think it's really good, and the the paintings are just absolutely beautiful. And that's a cool shot of Shit Kicker from inside his armor and everything. And you and can Zach actually is holding the book up. Yeah, and you can actually see like his like the mask that he's wearing under the the, the helmet and stuff. It's really really cool. Shades of yeah. uh, children under the stairs or people yeah. under the stairs. It's just what I was thinking. Yep. The dad from people totally. under the stairs yeah. inside a hybrid like juggernaut slash big daddy from Bioshock yep. sort yep. of. Oh, outfit. totally. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought the art in the book looked great. Everything looked incredible. I thought it was all placed incorrectly, though. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. a picture that, that pertains Agreed. to like what you're seeing will be like too far ahead or something, you know? Yeah, and here's my problem with it, is that for the most part, 
you'd read about something that happened and then you'd see the art a page or sometimes several pages after the event. Now, by that time, I've already come up with the scenario in my head. So I've already painted the picture for myself and then I get to see what they have created. But to be honest with you, it already looks better in my head because I've created it in my imagination. So I just wish the art would come before what we were about to see so that I know what to visualize when I'm reading it. I just think it's just the simplest, the simplest thing of just moving these pages before what we see would have worked so much better for me. Yeah, and that was my maybe my only complaint is the formatting. That, that could have been a little bit different. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I would have liked that as well. Um, from a seven-year-old's perspective, my son, he loved the art. He's like, this is mm. cool. This is sick in a good way. It is cool, yeah. So, uh and, and and then I started like casting, you know, certain actors for certain roles before I got to the picture of who they were. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't really envision, you know, Dr. Uh, Cutlow or whatever, yeah. you know, as, as being looking like that as kind of no. being with like, his early 90s long feathered hair and whatnot. Yeah, yeah weird. Yeah. I kind of figured who was your Cutlow before that. I was picturing more of like Brad Dourif-esque, uh, but like. Less oh, from, yeah. you know, like slimy and, and, and uh, not so he seemed tall in those in those drawings and the illustrations. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. I don't think they did a great job of describing him in the book based upon what the image of him looked like. Now, I don't know yeah. if like they just hired Dorman to do the art. Um, maybe he hadn't read the story before, but the, I, there was a disconnect between what he looked like. And I, I guess at least what I pictured in my head that he looked like because he was. He was far more handsome and clean cut and not as disgusting as the book made him sound like he was. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the art might have been done before the like finished words were written. I could see that. Yeah. I think I mm -hmm. yeah, I think I uh, that's what I was reading up about it a bit. And I think that's what I read that it, at least there was a back and forth about how much should be written and you know how many pages should be written how many pages should be art and i think the art pages got finished before they decided how many written pages there would be okay mm. and it almost seems like maybe they were pigeonholed by the fact that like you know maybe this piece of art should maybe be only two pages away from like that one but they kind of wanted to space them out like evenly yeah. and it then by doing yeah. so you kind of push like everything starts drifting further and further apart almost you know yeah yeah and, and yeah. i'm and, yeah the placement was strange and as much as I love this book, um, it's everything that all three of you guys said, I completely feel the exact same way about. Um, I always had a problem with, with how the art was placed, although I never really had a problem with like not having it not kind of go in with my head or whatever. Um, but I just I was always thrown off by the fact that, oh, you were talking about Tunnel Rat like three pages ago. Now we see the picture of her in the tunnel, yeah. you know, and then it almost makes you want to like read a little bit, then go ahead and look at something, then read a little bit, which doesn't is not good for flow. That's not good for pacing, yeah. you know. What do you think yeah. about like having no pictures in it until the very end and then the very end, each picture just having a little bit of a synopsis of what you're seeing in that image to kind of. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm down with that. I'm even yeah. even having that at the beginning, maybe without the synopsis, just seeing what might be coming, almost like a Ooh. almost like a trailer for the book in a way. But um, I think both of them would work for me. I just I didn't like the way that they were placed within the book. 
So tear out the pages. <laughs> and then, you guys can do that with your copies. Tear them out, tape them to the front or back of your book, and you've improved your copies. We can, Dean and I can't do that. I don't think we can do no, that with can. the digital No, we can't. We can print them out maybe. We can print them yeah, and then... We can print them out. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's very much the, like the art is so good that it, it is... Yeah pretty much like you could put it on your wall yeah you know like you would a disturbing know, uh, wall <laughs> a disturbing wall yeah for sure I've, I, I've heard people who you know back in the day would buy two copies of a comic book one to read one to cut up and put on their wall mm, and yeah. i feel like this would be the type of book you could do that with you'd cut out these pages and you could put them on your on your disturbing wall maybe you have a friendly wall is the another one in your room but this is the disturbing wall it's in my closet <laughs> yeah in the closet would actually kind of rule imagine if you found that person's closet <laughs> what is up with that i think dark horse did put out some art prints where you could get them sort of all together you know each individual one is was printed out you know a nice glossy you know whatever and you could hang them i have something similar to that but it was from all the covers from the the first run of their the aliens uh you know comic books and everything but these are vastly superior. And I I don't know if, if, if listeners out there, I don't know if we've really stated it, but they're all painted. It's it's nothing is like, it's not like drawn pen and ink and stuff. It's all paint. So it, they're just, they're so vibrant. Because the way Dave Dorman's art, I always loved how vibrant and colorful it was. You know, he makes, he makes space somehow very colorful. Yeah. Uh, I, something I, oh, sorry. I no, was going to go say ahead, something that stood out to me in just in the, in the, the whole aliens mythos is how appealing this is to like kids and how how um on one hand it's bizarre because you're like this is not made for kids but on the other hand kids are fascinated by these dark kind of images of like it's almost more more uh, acceptable for kids to like see an alien a guy a human battling an alien because it's it's like safer in a weird way and you can even go grosser with that maybe that's why this appeals to kids because it's so disconnected from reality and you said Bodhi was like looking at the pictures and whatnot. And he was like, this is really cool. Was he yeah. gravitating more towards the, the aliens, like the xenomorphs or like the, the colonial yeah. Marines? No, he loves the aliens. He, he loves, <clears throat> excuse me. I said this to Corey on a, uh, on a, on a previous episode of podcasting after dark. I think there's like kids that either like the heroes or kids that like the monsters. Right. And he's definitely a monster kid. Uh, where he sees the monsters and he's like, I want to know what that one's all about. And I want to know more about that guy. And I'm more like, I want to know more about the colonial Marines. Yeah. I don't I want those guys to live. And he's like, no, destruction. I want to see the aliens win. <laughs> well, and I find it interesting because <clears throat> Bodhi is, uh, oh, oh, he's older. He's older. He's older than seven, about seven and a half, right? Seven and a half. Yeah. yeah. And my nephew, uh, Gray Bear, he is, um, He's six and a half, and he's he's going to be seven soon. He he knows Uncle Corey's favorite movies, Aliens. I've already shown him Star Wars and whatnot, but he also knows that he has to be a little bit older to see it. But he's also playing the Aliens Fireteam Elite game and everything, so he already knows like all these different alien types. He already knows what they are. He already knows what Colonial Marines are, so... The last time he spent the night, I showed him uh, the, in, in Aliens, the scene from Aliens, where basically they all get, you know, attacked um, in in the reactor room. I started showing him right after the chestburster scene, so I didn't show him that. And uh, he was 
fascinated. Absolutely fascinated. Showed them from that whole battle all the way till they basically escape in the APC, you know, and everything. And uh, he was just just blown away. And I promised, I was like, look, I'm going to show you, you know, but after you're seven, you got to turn seven first. But my biggest fear is that the uh, is that the movie's going to be a little bit slow for him? I think it'll be less the the scares and more of the pacing of the film that I think will be harder for him to handle. But um, Zach, when do you when do you plan on showing Bodie aliens? Do you think? I don't know, dude. Ten, I think. Okay. Uh, you know, because it's rated R and it's like it's a hard R, and I think con uh, conceptually too, I think it'll be more. Uh, uh, aware of of how to understand all this stuff he's pretty good at understanding that now we're but it's interesting you know he he and maybe your your nephew to play the among us game yeah and i'm like that's like i told bodie i'm like you're trapped on a vortex in space you're like a you know it's it's you're, you're trapped on this ship from the first one and you don't know who who or where the killer is going to be and uh and and it's like a seek and destroy type thing he's like like among us i go sure sure <laughs> a little bit different you know and so it's just interesting like i look back on my childhood and and, and Corey, i think is Corey and i are relatively the same age but we're older than you know you guys and and so I was growing up playing um, Alien Syndrome and, and Xenomorph, Xenophobe and like these rip off alien arcade games. But the, but again, it like continued the storyline of what it would be like battling aliens in space and uh, really connecting with with H.R. Geiger's uh, Geiger's vision, you know, and I loved it. I was like. I think I was nine or 10 when all that stuff was coming out and I was in it hook, line and sinker. Just give me more, more, more. And I was making my GI Joe's battle aliens in space and shit like that. So I think to, for me, um, this stuff isn't scary, you know, it's just more fascinating than anything else. Yeah. That's, that's my experience too. I, I was, I was definitely uh, much older than you guys were when you watched uh, Alien. I think I was 24. Um, But I was uh, really afraid of movies. Like, it was just the way, I don't know, the way I was brought up or whatever it was, I was so afraid of, like, horror movies. I would not even touch them. I would not even go close to them. And then Tim is like, you have to watch Alien. You will love it. You have to watch it. So I did. He, I think he bought it for me. I did it. I watched it. And I'm like, oh, this is my favorite movie of all time. Movies can't be better than this. Like, this is the best. So I think that, and that was sort of my like introduction into horror. And now I absolutely wow. love it. And I think that was like kind of the first movie I watched that was, you know, maybe considered, you know, R-rated horror movie. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is accessible, you know, it is a little, somehow it's like less scary and it might be like the horror movie for kids. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I know I saw it as a kid. I know Corey, you saw it as a kid. Zach, when did you see like alien slash aliens? I saw alien, uh, in the early eighties, uh, with my brother, Eric on TV. And then I saw aliens in the theater with a double feature with the fly, so my mom oh, took me to see that. God, it was, hell yeah. Yeah. What a movie. <laughs> that was my aliens was tame compared to the fly. No shit. It was, um, it was the fly double feature with aliens and, uh, that changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think what's so great about seeing these movies as children is that like kids are sponges, right? Yeah. So they're just absorbing all these new experiences for the first time. And I know for myself, like watching alien, for the first time, that was like a new life experience. I had never before 
encountered something like this. So it's extremely fascinating for a child to to see something new and to dig into something new. I think that's what the allure is to these movies. It's brand new experiences that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I think that's one of the great things that I feel about kind of growing up in the 80s is having access to a lot of these movies that we shouldn't have been watching. We all watch these rated R movies that we should not have seen. But if you look at them now, they're not all that bad compared to what's out now. No. Most of them should be should be rated PG. Like um, Dean and I recently covered Bloodsport not too long ago. That's rated R. That's a yeah. it's a kids movie. It's for kids. It's for kids. It's for yeah. kids. Like that would be rated PG nowadays, right? Yeah. The but, only the only scenes in that that I would find maybe somewhat uh, questionable for kids is like his quote unquote sex scene with uh, or the aftermath scene with his butt, you know, and like yeah, right, or the <laughs> yeah. shit exploding out of the guy's leg. Uh, yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> right, but yeah. yeah, I think it's just like it's it's so fascinating for kids to have the opportunity to see or experience something new that they don't care if it's terrifying or not, you know, they just, they just want to do it. I know that I was really, really excited to kind of watch alien, but it was too scary. I I did turn Mm. it off a few times without being able to make my way through it. When I finally got past like the opening five, 10 minutes and kind of just settled into it, you realize it is like, it's an experience. It's something really, really interesting and fascinating. And like for kids who are just using their imagination, trying to create this stuff, for it to be laid out in front of you for two hours, I think is just it's um, I, it's just something that kids want, and and I also think they need it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you too. Like watching again, going back to Raised by Wolves, that's terrifying compared to Alien. Yeah. Like watching yeah. <laughs> if if you sat a kid down in front of to watch Raised by Wolves, at least with that redheaded chick you know and like she alone is terrifying when she has her change that's yeah. not too much of a spoiler uh like versus alien which is like a day in the life of a crew you know so yeah. uh uh it's it's just interesting like how horror and science fiction and and the aliens um, um you know the uh, aliens franchise has evolved because I feel like Raised by Wolves is part of the Aliens franchise. I, I, I mm. think so. I think it is, you know. Yeah. 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 But I, I think you guys are right. I think, I don't think these are, like, it, I don't think it's bad to show a kid if they're ready. Obviously, every kid's different. And I don't think I was ready when I saw Aliens in the theater when I was, like, seven and a half or eight or however old I was. But I will say that, you know, experience forever changed my life. Uh, You know, Aliens is my favorite movie of all time. Every time I watch it, I just I feel like I'm that age again. And it's just it's amazing. It's magical to watch. But it also that movie gave me it fueled my imagination all throughout my youth. I would draw so many aliens and colonial marines and come up with my own scenarios. Like Zach, I played with my GI Joes as colonial marines. Especially there was this one GI Joe three thousand guy that uh, looked exactly like a colonial marine. Um, but uh, what was yeah, his name? I forgot. But if you look him up, I can show it to you. Um, but yeah, it just it fueled my imagination. And you know, at some point, I want to give my nephew that as well but other things are fueling his imagination too but i think you're you guys are right i think alien isn't or aliens it's not the scariest thing in the world but i do think it has some some themes that it's working with that maybe a young kid might not you know understand or be scared by but a little fear ain't bad either you know to be a little bit scared of a movie it's not bad it's not a bad thing yeah 
I was more frightened by the never ending story than I was by Alien. The the <laughs> the scene where the two statues kill the night guy. Just choose a scene. Scare the choose hell one. out choose of anything. Anything. So yeah, many choose of any them. Scene. Yeah. The choose giant any of them. turtle. Uh, yeah. That <laughs> horse sinking to his that, death. That damaged me more than Alien did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Price in Something Wicked This Way Comes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. the ter- Mr. Dark. That shit is terrifying. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, just the, the, so the Disney haunted. Channel. Remember the the Boogity Man, the Disney uh, uh, TV show, the Boogity Man from back in the eighties scared the crap out yeah. of me. It's like it's yeah. so silly. Like what will scare you, and what won't you know? Just watched that recently with Bodie, and and he was not scared by it in the least bit. But I was like, I could see how you could be scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, kind of to like wrap up the story of this book because I, I do think it's very interesting. You basically have these Marines coming to this ship where there's an outbreak. We learn that this Dr. Kotlow is one of these alien radicalists, and he's impregnated himself with a queen, and the queen gets killed, her hive gets wiped out, but he's able to escape on a waste disposal pod with a queen inside of him. And the ship explodes, uh, like we knew it was going to do. And this guy, we haven't really talked too much about him, but Bort. Bort. Like the yeah. Bort. He's the commander of the mission. He's off in his own ship, kind of directing the people who are down on this other ship. He's left. Rat is left in her own waste disposal pod. And kind of everybody else gets blown up on the ship. But you have these three characters and they kind of leave it a little bit open as to what happens. Like, it sounds for a moment that Kotlow and Rat in their waste disposal pods are going to get engulfed by the explosion. But then they also let us know that Bort kind of goes after Rat and is kind of trying to position his ship in the way of the explosion so that Rat doesn't get killed. And they don't really go too much further with that other than to let us know that... Kotlow's pod, it does sound like it's going to make it past the explosion because the the queen is birthed out of him and they make it sound like this queen is going to be just fine until someone finds it. Um, there was some some weird stuff where throughout the book, they kept mentioning in these different scenes, the baby, the infant was crying and I couldn't really pick up on it the first time what is this infant that's crying? I didn't know what it was. At first I thought, are they referring to the queen inside of Kotlow that's shrieking? Um, was it just part of the music that Kotlow was playing? Because he often had music playing in the background. And it took me, like I read the book one time and then I kind of like quickly flashed through it a second time just to kind of pick up on some of the scenes that I thought maybe I didn't pay enough attention to. And then I realized that Kotlow the whole time had been keeping an infant with him so that the queen could impregnate this infant and create a drone. That's dark. Very dark. And he's got it in this waste disposal pod and it dies in his arms. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he was hoping it would live so that this queen could birth and impregnate it. And that doesn't happen. So his his plan kind of didn't come to fruition, but he's like, look, the queen will feed on the infant the queen will now feed on me yeah. and will survive this event and move on. 
And I thought it was extremely interesting that the first line of this book is the queen is dead. That's how the book starts off. The very last line of the book is the queen is dead. Long live the queen. Yeah. So I had to think about what was actually going on with that start and finish. But at the beginning, the queen is dead. And they explained to us how this ship explodes and essentially shit kickers, the one who kills the queen. So at the beginning, they're saying, yes, this happened. But what they kind of get to at the end is that another queen had been on the ship in Kotlow. And yes, the queen is dead, but also long live the new queen. It is now going to go off into space. I thought it was very poetic. It's almost a happy ending, depending on whose point of view you're looking at. If it's if you're looking at the the xenomorph and the queen and Kotlo's point of view, then it's actually a happy ending, to be honest with you. It could be. Yeah, I think thematically, it's a really cool ending because uh, so like you said, Tim, it ends with Bort rat out on a waste disposal pod, the queen out on a waste disposal pod. So it's like in my head either they both survive or they both die from the blast. So what do I want? Like, do I love rat? Do I want rat to survive, but that means the queen survives? Or do I want the blast to kill them both because then the queen won't survive? You know, I I just, I really like this. I I like that they don't give us what happens to any of their fates. That, you know, this explosion's gone. They might be okay. We went and heard from each of them inside their pod and they might be okay. And I just, I like that ending. I like that ending kind of left open. I do too. Um, I, lo- I love a- op- open endings because you can world build from it. So, so uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Same. so good. It, it leaves us it leaves us with our imagination and then you can also build upon the story. Zach, it's very John Carpenter-esque. It oh, is. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Oh, definitely. man. Hey. Yes. For more of that, check out Podcasting After Dark's Patreon page. <laughs> Hell yeah. If you want to walk through all the Carpenter movies. And why wouldn't you? Well, Am they, I right? Yeah, thank I you, do. buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, we're it's a, we're ta- taking on a two year uh, uh, walkthrough of his entire catalog, and we already have three movies down. So yeah, check out podcast. You have Dark's Patreon if you want to hear our thoughts on John Carpenter's uh, complete filmography. Uh, I just want to say the cool idea about the Queen in the book, where while the Queen was alive with her hive. She picked up on the fact that Kotlow had a queen inside of him and became very aggressive and wanted to destroy it because there can only be one queen. Yeah. And then as cool. she was dying, as she was in her death throes, um, she realized the hive needs a queen. And then it became this mission to somehow save that other queen. Like if there's two of them, they must fight. There can be only one. But if there's an opportunity where one of them is going to die, the other must live. It must survive to provide for the hive. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. Never heard that before in the alien universe. I thought that was very cool. Some very great ideas in this book, very simple story, simple idea. And then they just jam pack it full of these really, really cool ideas and like building of the lore It's very impressive. Yeah. Speaking of cool ideas, they open on one, and that is that Bort is a survivor of a chestburster. Yes. Which is so cool. I think that's yeah. so awesome that like they got the they got medic to him immediately and was able to keep him alive, but he's like 
you know, he's, he's half machine, right? Because of how they had to, you know, reconstruct everything. But it's so cool that he, he can remember what it was like for a chestburster to come out and it's like horrifies him. I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. 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 Um, a couple of things I just wanted to say. I love the way that they describe the humans from the aliens point of view. The aliens call them the humans, the soft ones. Mm-hmm. thought that was yeah. very interesting. And the way that Rat described the Xeno when they are first like born out of a human, and she called them the faceless face, mm. which mm. I thought was so accurate. If you just picture one of those drones birthing out of a human, yeah, the faceless face. I thought that was very, yeah. very intelligent yeah. cool. writing. I loved it. Uh, but that's about all I got. Is there any anything that anybody else wanted to touch on that maybe we flossed over or any final comments uh we'll go around here how about Corey? why don't you go first uh the only thing we missed is a little error they refer to it as lb as in boy to 426 instead of lv 426 and then some uh questionable dialogue from back in the air the day where they call uh the 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 asian american guy uh oriental multiple times i was like oh okay okay yeah we're back in 92 okay got it um but other than that, other than that, I think it's a slick story. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. It's an easy read. Um, if if you're an Aliens fan, if you're a Colonial Marines fan, it, this is a must read, I think. And it's super easy. And you can easily get it on Comixology and everything. It's not very expensive at all in digital form. So everyone who has a love of aliens even if you don't read the comic books this is i think you can read this and you don't have to know anything about the comics just know aliens the movie and you can follow right along with this zach what do you think final thoughts yeah if you like pictures you like looking at pictures uh, <laughs> <laughs> no if if you're fascinated by the continuation of a tried and true franchise that has taken many different twists and turns this is yet another uh great variation on the on the cool um idea and concept of aliens i loved it and again i'm not a a quote-unquote reader uh and i was able to get through it as well so if you're not a reader and most of your reading consists of scrolling on your phone uh you can do it you can do it test yourself it's worth it actually you'll be scrolling on your kindle or uh, ipad or whatever uh you know if you're reading the first noel chronicles by our buddy diallo jackson which is also another great read just cheap plug by the way uh <laughs> and and yeah go on kinder novella or wherever you read any of these things and yeah i loved it um I, I was i was immersed pretty quickly on and that's saying a lot for a guy who doesn't read the only books he does read are picture books and uh chapter novels for young kids so um i loved it i loved it i loved overall the the concept and uh, and, and just the the continu- the continuation of these these dynamic chest bursters. Dean? Uh, I have the perspective of a reader. I do like to read a lot. Nerd. Oh, Dean. Uh, yeah, nerd. Yeah. Nerd. Okay, but is, here I'll go super nerd. What I basically the only thing I read are fantasy books, um, and fantasy books are very long. Uh, and this book had all the aspects that I love about a fantasy book, um, which is sort of in its structure, is what I'm talking about, where 
you you line up a bunch of characters, you get backstory on the characters, and then you just start switching perspectives between them all. And you know, this is a novella; it's it's short, so it does it very very frequently switches between the characters. But that's how you keep like the reader engaged. You keep the action going. Um, it's what I love about fantasy novels. It's a thing about I I don't read a lot of other genres. I don't know if it's in other genres, but fantasy novels give you a few characters at the beginning that they really dig into. And then they've talked about other characters. And then all of a sudden you're in that character's perspective and you're just jacked when you, you know, when you, when you open it up and you're like, oh, this is from this character's perspective. I've just heard about them. And so I love flopping around between, you know, all these different characters. Um, it, it, it kept me engaged. It almost felt like, you know, like Mission Impossible, like at the beginning of that movie when cool. they're on a mission and they just like go into all everybody's different perspective all their different jobs you know everyone has their own job it's it just like moves um i loved it i the perspective of someone who reads a lot it ruled and i loved it i would read it many more times it's awesome cool yeah definitely check this book out it, it was excellent it's a new story um unlike anything i've ever read very very cool uh i want to do the snake draft here let's go backwards let's plug your shows dean i'm going to start with you plug it up Okay, uh, I have another podcast with uh, Alex, who's also been on this show many times. Uh, it is called Return, Revenge, Resurrection. It is a horror movie podcast, and we go through horror franchises. So we start at the beginning of the franchise. We cover every movie that the franchise has ever done. And uh, yeah, you can uh, episodes come out on Thursday. You can catch us on Instagram at Return, Revenge, Resurrection if you want to you know, DM me or whatever. Cool. Zach, please uh, plug what you're doing. Besides plugging Corey on Podcasting After Dark, <laughs> I also am on $2 Late Fee with my co-host Dustin Rubin, and we are an 80s nostalgia podcast. Currently, 80s and early 90s, by the way. It's in our, it's in our promo of the, uh, of the show. And we're currently covering a very little-known movie called Hanging with the Homeboys, and we have an upcoming interview with one of the stars from Hanging with the Homeboys, Nestor Serrano. If you don't know who that is, if you look him up on IMDb, you'll go, oh, I know that guy. He's been in everything from Lethal Weapon 2 up to like uh, Law & Order SVU, and the guy is a talented hella talented actor on the level of Robert De Niro and he tells some really really cool stories about making uh, early TV shows like The Hat Squad that Corey and I covered on TV Obscura back in the day all the way up to uh, working with yeah working with De Niro and working with people from uh, Lawn or SVU so anyways $2 late fee and uh, we've, we've got an upcoming uh, episode devoted to Remo Williams and there may be someone from that movie that we'll be interviewing very soon. Tease, tease. Very cool. Corey, what do you got? What do you do? Well, what are you doing? Well, I get plugged by Zach. <laughs> I get plugged by Zach. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Podcasting sure after dark. I saw it. I wow. watched it happen. Wow. <laughs> you did. He was there. Uh, was we, we, have a, we have a few shows uh, on Podcasting After Dark, like Zach just mentioned, uh, TV Obscura. It's a monthly show where we kind of talk about weird um, TV shows from our youth. We have the normal reviews, the backbone of Podcasting After Dark, and then we also have our Interviews After Dark uh, series 
We just released our Peter Jason interview, and we have uh, one coming up with uh, Leah Montalongo, who played Queen Sindel in Mortal Kombat 3, the arcade game. Not uh, not the movie, but the arcade game. So that's a really interesting discussion. And uh, when I'm not over there with uh, hanging with Zach, I'm also hanging with our pal Adam over at Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. And uh, Adam and I have... Wow, we've wrapped up season eight, so we've covered every single episode of Seinfeld from episode one, the pilot, all the way through season eight. Going to start in on season nine and recovering uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm on uh, the Cartwright Patreon. So, and, uh, you know, do it, doing it, <laughs> always podcasting. So, and loving, loving whenever we're on Talking Back. So thank you all so much for having us on this one. Yeah, this was, this was fun, guys. Thanks for having us on. Of course. You guys are always welcome. And if you want more from Talking Back, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash talkingbackpodcast. We have a bunch of exclusive episodes over there. Very easy to access them for five bucks a month. Also, please check out all the podcasts in the Blast From Our Past network. Lots of fun stuff going on there. And Corey, Zach... Thank you once again, guys, for joining. It's always a blast having you on. We uh, we appreciate it and enjoy your company. So thank you. Thank you for having us. We love you oh, guys. Shucks. I feel like I got a lump in my chest that's ready to explode. <laughs> Dean, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get Thanks for listening to the episode, everybody. We wanted to let you know if you'd like to show your support for Talking Back, then please check out our Patreon page where you can join one of our membership tiers and unlock bonus episodes and more each and every month. Or you can check out our page at buymeacoffee.com slash talking back where you can make a one-time donation of any amount or feel free to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. All three options are great ways to show your support for the show. That's it. We're done.